Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Our goal at the Society is to share the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen with audiences right around the world. Today, I want to introduce you to an award-winning writer and the publisher of Orbis Books, Robert Ellsberg. Robert was a longtime friend of Henry Nouwen's. He worked closely with Henry as his editor in the years before he died. Robert Ellsberg brings unique insights into Nouwen, both as a writer and as a friend. Robert, you're the publisher of Orbis, obviously. That's a very big job, and you've been doing it for 30 years, is it? Been there for 31 years. 31 years. What is so striking to me is you're also such an accomplished author. A wonderful author. I have enjoyed the books that I have seen. You're a beautiful writer. How do you balance those two worlds? How do you balance the world of being the publisher, making all those decisions and editing, and, and your own career as a writer? Well, I, I guess it, it helps that there's a, a synergy between the program of Orbis Books and uh, the kind of writing I do. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the first big book I did, which was called All Saints, in, it was published in 1997, I, I originally came up with the idea as something I wanted to find another author to do. I thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to have a, a book of saints, contemporary saints, who would combine uh, traditional, uh, you know, well-known figures, but, but uh, holy figures from our time, men and women, uh, from, of, of all different types. And I thought, but who could I find to write a book like that? You know, it was kind of a big project. And one of my colleagues said, why don't you do it yourself? Uh, and it, I just was sort of waiting for someone to give me that invitation or permission uh, to think that I actually had something of my own to say. Because as an, as an editor, uh, you're, you know, you're always on the other side of the, of the desk and uh, working with other people's writing. So the idea that I had something of my own to say, but it came very much out of the same you know, impulses and history that led me to Orbis Books in the first place. So it, it, it's always been kind of hand in hand. I know because I happen to love All Saints. I read it very regularly. I can't tell you I read it every single day, but I'm never disappointed. It's a wonderful book. I love the crispness of your writing, the eloquence, <laughs> and then you add to that just, I'm, I'm constantly marveling how that book got made. There's just so much in it. Mm. What was it in you that had this passion to know all these characters. You're quite the storyteller. Well, a particular kind of story. I, I've always been fascinated by uh, the stories of people that I admired, not because of their you know, great worldly achievements, but because of their human qualities, because of their uh, spiritual and moral qualities. Uh, I, I guess all my life, uh, Everything that I've learned or has been important to me has been in relationship or a dialogue with, with those kinds of lives. Uh, some people that I met or people that I read or people from history. And I look back even, you know, all through school and graduate school, every paper I ever wrote was some kind of effort to try to grapple with some kind of great mind or great heart. Um, so I had been storing up this this kind of reservoir. And it, a lot of it goes back to the years that I spent with Dorothy Day at the Catholic Worker in, in the late 70s. And there I was really uh, exposed to the whole communion of saints, uh, holy people that, that were really, you know, Dorothy Day would talk about like contemporaries and friends, uh, not just historical figures. And she really 
uh, you know, relished their human qualities, and she she took very seriously their historical context and how they tried to live out their faith in a heroic way in response to the questions and challenges of their time. So I, I went through that experience of the Catholic worker that was not just exposing me to the saints, but to uh, great uh, writers like Dostoevsky and Pascal and Camus and uh, uh, peace activists and people like Martin Luther King and Cesar Chavez and Franz Jaeger's daughter. And, uh, then I went to Latin America and I was exposed to the kind of Church of Romero and, and the, the Latin American martyrs. And then I, I went to graduate school and I learned a lot more about church history and the mystics, women mystics. Um, and then I came to Orbis and, and working for the publishing arm of the Marianol Fathers and Brothers, which is a, the Catholic Foreign Mission Society of America. Uh, I, I learned more about the kind of world church. All of that kind of came together in this very distinctive, you know, uh, collection of holy lives. I don't think anybody else would have come up with quite that same list. But they were all people that really spoke to me in, in some way about uh, the challenge of being faithful and really being human in a deep way in, in our time. Now, of course, something that would be really of interest to me was the fact that in the pages of All Saints, I found Henry Nouwen. Yes. I'd love to know how you found Henry Nouwen in the first place. And obviously, he was an important person in your life, and you were an important person in his life. I'd love to know about that. Well, going backward, how did he end up in my book uh, is kind of interesting, because I was, uh, I was working on this book uh, in the last uh, few years of his life, and he took a great interest in it. Um, and I was surprised by what a great interest. And I mean, in retrospect now, I can see uh, he was kind of himself looking for a new vocabulary for how to write about uh, spiritual life. And I think he was very fascinated by the fact that I was doing that through lives uh, and very diverse, uh, eclectic, you know, lives. Uh, because here, after all, you know, his, his, his spiritual hero is Vincent van Gogh. Uh, a very, very non-conventional uh, religious artist. I mean, his, his original human impulses were uh, to want to, to uh, spread the gospel, to be a minister or a missionary of some kind, uh, and he kind of, uh, uh, kind of flunked out of that program and turned to art instead, uh, but trying to, through the vocabulary of color and drawing and shapes and lines, to communicate something about a compassionate view of the world and of the kind of presence of grace and divinity in, in the natural world and, and in, in the lives of people who struggle and, and cope with loneliness and depression and, and, uh, and, and longing of various kinds. And so I think one of the things that really endeared my book to Henry was that I included Van Gogh as one of my saints, prophets, and witnesses for our time. So. Uh, I was sending you know, Henry batches of this as I was working on it, and he surprised me uh, unbidden by sending a letter to the publisher, which was Crossroad uh, Publishing, uh, a, a long letter of, of you know, endorsement of the book. I mean, he hadn't been asked. Ordinarily, you write a book, and then you send it out for endorsements. So the book wasn't even finished yet, and he wrote this long uh, letter to Crossroad, beautiful letter uh, about the book. And I thought... That, that was, I mean, it's an amazing thing for him to just have that impulse to do that. And as it turned out, uh, remarkable also, because then he ended up dying before the book was done. 
So I never you know, had the opportunity to ask him for an endorsement. There it was. And uh, so he died just as I was finishing the book, and I then ended up writing a little entry about him. I thought he was, you know, he's not the kind of person who's likely to be canonized, I wouldn't say, become an official saint, but he's the kind of, of holy person that interests me, uh, a flawed person in many ways, a struggling person, but a person who, who represented a, uh, a spirituality of pilgrimage, of, of being on a journey, of, 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 of questing. Um, uh, you know, and I think that that's true of maybe a lot of saints. We tend to think of them as this kind of finished product by the time they founded a religious congregation or something like that. But, but then there are these people like Henry uh, or Thomas Merton would be another example, whose uh, spirituality is, is expressed on the road, is on a journey. Uh, and it continued throughout his life, and uh, uh, and I and, and in a way that that you you feel that journey continues, and that you're part of that journey, and you're, you're, he accompanies you in your own journey. Um, so it was it made sense for me to, to put him in the book, but it made him the uh, uniquely the only person who's in my book who also endorsed the book. Um, take me back. How did you guys meet in the first place? Because you. He really met you as a very young man, and one thing that impresses me about you, Robert, people who met you early on got that there was something really special. I mean, <laughs> what was Dorothy Day doing, naming you to be, what was it, editor-in-chief of... of uh, it's called managing editor. She managing it, editor? Of, of the Catholic Worker newspaper. Yeah, well, I, I came to the Catholic Worker um, in uh, 1975 was when I was 19. I dropped out of college. I only expected to take a year off, and, I, and, and the Catholic Worker wasn't my actual destination, but that's a long story. I ended up going there for what I thought would be for a few weeks, and that stretched on for five years. Um, and it was during that time that I met Henry. As you said, uh, I'd only been there for a few months, and Dorothy asked me if I would be the managing editor of the paper, so I was, I was 20 at that point. I wasn't a Catholic. I had no experience editing a paper or doing much of anything else. So it is a mystery to me in my life somehow that I, I, I feel that uh, um, whether people saw something in me or they drew something out of me or they, they imparted some kind of, you know, gift. You know, when you, you look into the story of Elijah kind of taking his cloak and putting it over his, you know, who the man who will be his kind of follower, Elisha, uh, I, I, I had the benefit of, of a lot of great mentors who in different ways befriended me and gave me some, how, some kind of little share of, of their spirit. <laughs> and uh, in this case, uh, I met Henry more or less accidentally. Um, my sister was uh, an undergraduate at, at Yale at the time, and she was uh, friendly with a lot of uh, people who were involved in peace work who were friends with Henry, who was teaching at Harvard, uh, excuse me, Yale Divinity School. So I was visiting her, and she said, um, uh, would you like to meet Henry Nowen? And I'd heard of him, and I'd, he'd written some books on counseling and spiritual life, but he, he wasn't, uh, you know, the famous kind of writer that he became uh, later on. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that, that there was something that set him apart, apart specially from anybody else at Yale Divinity School. I hadn't read his books, um, uh, but I said, sure. So I, uh, I, she introduced me to, to him, and we immediately hit it off. Um, you know, Henry had this way also, I think, of, of 
of of well becoming very excited about meeting a, a young person that was on the path somehow who was already on the way was asking the right kind of questions and he always you know thought you know um, uh, will you be you know my new best friend or something <laughs> like that and uh, so he you know I didn't know him well enough to know whether that was typical or not but but gosh he was he was incredibly friendly and giving me books and things and very interested in what I was doing um, as I say I, I was not especially in awe of him I did not really know he didn't really have that much of a reputation at the time uh, I just uh, said well I knew he was a writer I said would you would you like to write some things for the Catholic workers sometime and he said oh I'd be most honored to and everything so he, he gave me this series of, of essays that he, he wrote on community, which is one of the themes that, that the Catholic workers interested in. And, you know, they really didn't interest me all that much, I have to say. Uh, they seemed kind of abstract uh, to me. They didn't seem to be written by somebody who had a lot of experience of community at the time. And, uh, I, and I, was, I was not a very experienced editor. And I didn't know how do you how do you deal with a situation like that where you sort of invited someone to write for you and then they send you something, and you're not that happy with it. And I said, well, I don't know if they're really exactly what we're looking for. Do you, uh, you have any other essays or articles or something? I don't know what I thought impact of that would be, but he was not uh, amused, and uh, I could see right away that it was not the right thing to say. And I said, well, 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 well I, I'm not saying we don't want to use any of them. Well, we'd, we'll pub maybe one of the articles. It was a series of articles. but So we did publish one of those articles. Um, he never forgot that, I don't think. Uh, the, it's curious that, that, that earlier this year I was at a conference on, on Henry Nouwen, and I had occasion to go back and read that essay again. And it struck me as uh, much more profound than I <laughs> appreciated at the time when I was 20. In fact, I, I felt that, that he was, in that essay, kind of, uh, you know, addressing, you know, things that were maybe aspects of my own spiritual shadow that, that I was not able to perceive at the time. Uh, there was a lot more to it than, than, I, than, I, uh, than I realized, even though maybe it wasn't really quite right for the Catholic worker, you know, whatever. But uh, it's funny that, that, so that was in, you know, whatever, 19... Uh, 77 or something, 10 years later, you know, so my relationship goes on with him for a long time. A lot of ups and downs and twists and turns. But when I told him I was coming to Orbis Books, he said, uh, well, if anybody were to ask me, uh, you know, if, about whether you'd be good for this job, I would say, intellectually, uh, perfect fit, you know. I don't know whether you have the human gifts for this kind of work. And I was thinking, well, what, are, what is he talking about, that my the human gifts, you know? And immediately my, my mind went back. He's still thinking about Now, that doesn't set him apart from every other author. We, we all remember the bad review we got mm -hmm. or the, 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 the discouraging word from some teacher in fifth grade or something that we want to prove them wrong. But the fact that he cared enough about what some kid said 10 years before and now he's you know, remembering that still. But you know, the funny thing is that as I, I did take the job, I didn't need a letter of recommendation from Henry, as it turned out. Um, which I wouldn't have asked him for, uh, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I thought well he he was onto something. He, there was something true there, that uh, that being a successful editor is about relationships, and uh, you have to know how to be honest with somebody, and straight with them, show them respect, 
um, but also be kind of you know sensitive to their feelings and 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 uh, what they're trying to do and to be a little bit more of a a partner and an encouraging kind of uh, a partner with them in their work and not just somebody with a red pencil you know uh, so I I often felt that 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 uh, that that there was a, a an important lesson for me there uh, from Henry about gifts but uh, so that's that's how I, I met Henry it started on that maybe inauspicious note uh, the fact that it continued for 10 years until I came to Orbis and then another 10 years after I came to Orbis uh, see he died then 10 years after I took the job and in that period of time our, our relationship continued to unfold and develop and so that by the end I was working with him on the, the last book he wrote Adam uh, and then went on you know my relationship continued surprisingly I served for seven years as one of the uh, executors of his literary estate and uh, went on to publish many uh, posthumous books and anthologies and biographies about him in the years after that. Can I ask you, what was it like in that 10-year period where Henry was alive and you were actually editing his work? What was it like to work with him as an editor for you? Um, well, Henry was at uh, the Larsh in those years, and I didn't see him so often. Uh, and in the beginning of his time there, I think that we didn't have very much expectation that we would work uh, together because uh, Orbis, uh, the program of Orbis was pretty much focused on uh, theologians and writers from the third world. Uh, and that, of course, was an interest of Henry's, his time that he'd spent there in Latin America. In fact, uh, it was through you know, connections of Henry that I ended up going to the Marino Language School in Bolivia, which is how I was introduced to Orbis books and ended up getting my job at, at Marino, so he had a funny connection there. Uh, so the first book that we worked on was a, uh, a book of uh, the Stations of the Cross with a kind of third world theme. They were illustrated by uh, drawings by, by a, a, a nun who, who kind of looked at the Jesus's passion through the suffering of the poor in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And that was kind of a natural project for Orbis, a natural kind of bridge to uh, the work of Henry Now, and he did that book for us, and it was it was quite successful. Um, but the Orbis program began to evolve, and with it, uh, there began to be you know wider opportunities for us to work together. First, a you know a, a new edition of his book Gracias, which was about his his time in Latin America, largely you know under the auspices of Marinol. So again, that was a good fit. Uh, finally, I guess the the first original book he did with us, and I think it was a bit of a test to see whether how we would do with it was a book he wrote on the Eucharist, or the what he called the Eucharistic life, called uh, With Burning Hearts. Um, and it was a big breakthrough for us. Uh, and he was very happy with the results. And it made him think, well, it's not a, necessarily a sacrifice to go with a publisher like Orbis. I mean, he, he published with many different publishers at the same time. And he, he would kind of carefully think, you know, who was the right publisher. Uh, of course, people were always asking him to do things. And so it was hard to kind of get in the queue. Uh, uh, on his his projects, but it was uh, he was so happy with that book, and I think by the end of his life, we he was beginning to look at Orbis as as one of his uh, primary you know uh, relationships. So he said he wanted to do a book on the Creed, on the Apostles' Creed, uh, and I said okay, great. Uh, he said send me some articles about the Creed. I'd like to learn more about it. So I looked up some things in the library and sent them. And he said, oh, this is it's more complicated than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just the Apostles' Creed was written by the Apostles or something. <laughs> and um, 
and he was I could see he was getting discouraged with the idea. So then something happened, which was the, the death of Adam, uh, the core member of the uh, large community that he had been responsible for uh, caring for, you know, for part of the day in his early time at Larsh, and it had been really his uh, bridge into the world of, of, of Larsh. Uh, and he'd often given talks about Adam and what the, the impact uh, that he'd left on, on Henry and on the community. Uh, it was as if, you know, Larsh uh, and Adam in particular gave him a much more real and concrete reference a point or foundation for so many of the spiritual themes he'd been writing about for years, whether, you know, being the, you know, ministry or intimacy or community or peacemaking, uh, things that I'd said, you know, that seemed a little abstract when I read them 10 years before, now seemed very real. So he said, I have a new idea for this book. Uh, now bear with me. And I said, okay, using my, my new human gifts that I'd <laughs> acquired after many years. Uh, he said, um, it's still going to be about the creed, but it's going to be about Adam. And I'm thinking like, okay, I don't know what that is supposed to mean, you know. <laughs> it's a book about the creed, but it's about Adam. Uh, I said, okay, all right, let's 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 see what that looks like. Anyway, so he gets to work on this and begins sending me uh, chapters. And I begin to get an idea of, you know, it's surprisingly the, the book is written like a gospel almost of, of the life of Adam. And here's this man who, who was mute, who couldn't walk, who couldn't express himself, who needed to be cared for all day long, um, couldn't tell you if he was happy or sad, who had seizures all the time. And yet uh, he becomes a figure for Henry to, to tell the gospel story. Uh, so he talks about, you know, his, his early hidden life, you know, then his, his kind of time in the desert, which was when he was uh, in an institution, and then when he comes to, to Larsh and his mission begins. And again, very, you know, interesting to talk about the mission of, of, of Adam. Um, but he, he was conveying the idea that Adam almost, you know, because of his limitations or disabilities, uh, is able to reveal something very deep about about. The, the mission of, 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 of each of our lives, which is not necessarily to achieve great things. We're not loved by God because we did this special thing or not, but we are beloved of God uh, from the beginning, and our mission in life is to take that in and to, to express our, our, our belovedness in, in whatever is given to us. Uh, and Adam did that just as effectively or more effectively than many other people. And he certainly had an impact on the people around him, including Henry. And in his own passion and death, he, he helped to teach Henry something about approaching his own death without fear. And it was so interesting that this turned out to be the last book Henry was working on. Uh, he died uh, just after turning in the manuscript to me. It was not completely done. Uh, but it was, uh, we were just, you know, he, he had, he, he went off then to, to, uh, to the Amsterdam and he died. Um, and the book came out, you know, after his death. Uh, so, you know, I don't know where it, you know, it, in a way that book was Henry's Creed. It was kind of a summing up of everything that he'd learned, not just at Larsh, but how Larsh had given him a vocabulary for expressing everything that had come before that. So it was really the kind of culmination of, of, of Henry's whole journey, and I think it's very significant that that was his, 
his his final gift, so to speak. That's great. I have uh, had the privilege of hearing you speak a number of times, and you have you're an eloquent man and a thoughtful man. It's not just words well put together, but ideas. I'm curious for the times that we live in now, what are the things that you find concerning and what are the things that give you joy? Hmm. Uh, the thing that has given me more joy than anything in the last five years has been um, the witness of Pope Francis. I, I feel, you know, I became a Catholic and after five years as a Catholic worker, um, and I, years since then, you know, I never thought, am I not a Catholic or should I not be a Catholic? Uh, it was so, seemed so much part of my identity and part of my whole life that I couldn't define myself otherwise. But I think that really it was the promise of Pope Francis that made me become a Catholic. <laughs> it was the imagination of that kind, that of, of the church that he represents, that is what I thought I was getting myself into. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of time I, I was very uh, disappointed in those hopes. My um, time at, the, at, at Orbis Books, for instance, uh, was constantly clouded by investigations of my authors who were silenced or disciplined or humiliated in, in various ways. Uh, because they were trying to find, you know, a new vocabulary to express the faith in its relation to issues of religious pluralism or uh, the relation between faith and culture or uh, prophetic attention to, to the cry of the poor, whatever. Uh, out of step, by and large, with the bishops of the United States, showed no interest or support or sympathy for what we were doing. Um, and yet I kept at it. Uh, it always seemed important and real and, and to reflect the, my understanding of, of the gospel. Um, and then Pope Francis came along, and it was this springtime, and it was just, I felt like a, a kind of valentine from, from, from the Holy Spirit to me. I mean, I, I just get emotional just talking about him. I, and it's not as if suddenly, aha, now, okay, now we're going to, you know, we're going to, shift our program to be all about Francis. The point is is that, that our program was all about Francis before he came along. And it's simply now it, it had, you know, this kind of uh, uh, affirmation and, uh, and uh, that we were on the right track, I think. Now not everybody agrees, to my surprise. But, um, but you know, when he, he's talking about a... Uh, about a church that is focused on its mission and not just inward looking and focused on itself. And I think that the church had become, as he said, just simply too self-referential um, and too much uh, concerned with uh, judgment and presenting a face of judgment to the world and to others who didn't measure up to some idea of the law or orthodoxy. And his uh, emphasis on, on mercy as and love as being the, the, the essence of the gospel and the Christian life. Uh, and that the whole church, everything in the church should be measured uh, according to that mission. 
So uh, immediately, of course, we began publishing books uh, by and about uh, Pope Francis. I've edited personally several of them now, including most recently uh, a book of his writings on, on migrants and refugees that's coming out uh, this, this fall. I edited a book of his uh, addresses to young people. I, I put together a, a, a special edition of his letter on holiness that came out recently, uh, but many other books we've done. But that's no, it's not just that's the Francis part of the program. You could look through the whole uh, list and see you know, the Asian theologians that are trying to deal with uh, you know, interreligious dialogue and the Latin Americans who are dealing with the option for the poor and social justice. Uh, the concern for earth and ecology and a new relation between religion and science um, and simply a, a kind of uh, a, a, an essential uh, concern for uh, the, the merciful face of God uh, rather than the judging face of, of, of God. So I, I feel very affirmed. I feel this is what I've waited for all this time. I see things happening like the canonization of Oscar Romero uh, this fall, something I take joy in. Uh, probably he would be the patron saint of, of, of Orbis books. Uh, I see the progress in the uh, you know, cause for the canonization of my friend Dorothy Day uh, that is proceeding in which I have again mysteriously been, you know, <laughs> happened to be, to play a part. I'm, I'm I'm one of the uh, three members of the historical commission appointed by the archdiocese to uh, kind of assemble and sign off on the uh, material that will be submitted to Rome for her canonization. So that uh, that you know that extension of my relationship that goes back for 40 years, uh, you know, continues. Um, uh, I, I have the satisfaction of of the work that I do, the joy that I find in writing about saints. Um, and and feeling that 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 is a um, it's not just something I like to write about, but that it, it is the it is a concrete contribution that I can make to raising the uh, kind of moral and spiritual literacy, uh, because people through these lives have a concrete reference point uh, for a way of interpreting how to live the gospel in our time in relation to the issues we face. So all of those things that, that I have a kind of uh, a, a community of authors and friends that I feel I'm in on this with, that we're all partners, uh, that I have meaningful, important work, that I have affirmation through Pope Francis that that this work is, is blessed and important. Uh, those are all things that I, f I find joy in. Um, on the other side, um, I, I, you know, to speaking personally as a as a citizen of the United States, um, I am uh, tremendously dismayed by the threat that I feel that Donald Trump uh, poses, not just through the policies which he's enacting, but by the to to see a kind of vulgarity, meanness, moral vacuity. Uh, lack of, of historical consciousness, uh, capacity for empathy, uh, enthroned, uh, and uh, the object of a kind of cult uh, that is extremely uh, disturbing to me. And I don't know whether uh, with each new outrage we seem to be on this downward slope. 
we ask ourselves, is this as far as it gets, or is it going to keep on going? Is this going to be what is going to provoke some, some uh, moral uprising? Um, and we haven't gotten there yet. And, and I don't know whether you get to a point of almost a uh, point of, of the uh, kind of tipping point where you can't easily go back uh, to the kind of norms of decency and respect for law and for the Constitution and for uh, free press and for uh, uh, kind of sense of global solidarity or concern for the earth or all these kinds of things. Uh, it's no accident, maybe, that, that I find myself personally, and not just me, the world in this kind of crossroad with a Pope Francis on one side and what is almost like his moral opposite, uh, uh, you know, in the United States. So uh, that is a matter of, of deep uh, distress for me, not just for me, but thinking of the impact this will have on future generations and on the, the whole fate of the earth. So there's a feeling of quite a lot being at stake. I thank you for sharing both sides of that, the, the hope <laughs> and and the the, uh, the sorrow and the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, one last question. I have been aware, well. I'm aware the Pope has uh, by his uh, his admission. He said that in his top ten books to read, one of them was Henry Nouwen's, mm-hmm. and it was yes, it was uh, the. Uh, the Return of the Prodigal Son. I didn't know that. Yeah, he listed ten books, and <clears throat> it's there. And I was, I thought that was a delight to see. Hmm. I'm wondering about, in a way, positioning Henry for the age we live in. And I think he, I, I wonder if he can be described as a spiritual master for the age of anxiety. What are your thoughts? Where does Henry fit today? Does he have something for now? Hmm. 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 <sighs> I think you know. When I um, when I was thinking of becoming a Catholic, Henry was one of the first people I spoke to about that. Um, and I, I didn't really know how you became a Catholic, or, and is there something you're supposed to read, or something like that. And I, I thought that uh, he might give me a catechism or something here, or here's a book on what Catholics believe, or something like that. Uh, and instead, he said, uh, "Won't you go home?" And read the Gospel of Mark, <laughs> and then, and when you're done with that, then read the Gospel of Matthew, and then read. You know, he he was all about. Uh, he said, "There's no reason to do this, unless you are. It's part of the way you're being called to be closer to Jesus. It doesn't matter what church you belong to. It doesn't matter what you know. This kind of creed you you recite. Uh, it was all about uh, growing close to closer to Jesus, and I think that." Uh, that that is actually a kind of timeless uh, message. It's one of the reasons why Henry has had such ecumenical uh, appeal, I think. I mean, he was deeply Catholic. He was deeply a, a priest, the Eucharist, the sacraments, Mary, the saints. All these were very, very important to him. Uh, but his emphasis on Jesus was, was so central that it, you know, evangelicals and Protestants of, of ministers of all kinds have, have, have found him uh, accessible. I think that you know he didn't necessarily find exactly the language to bridge, uh, you know, the, the kind of audiences that he wanted to reach, 
but he had very much a, a deep sense of how do you make that message of Jesus uh, meaningful to a kind of secular or a non-religious you know audience as well he he was already aware you know before it became so obvious that a, a lot of cr- kind of Christian and religious language was becoming meaningless to a younger generation uh, and yet uh, the kind of deeper language of of intimacy of communion of 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 compassion of love uh, that the, this was a universal language uh, and I think he felt saw how that could bridge a lot of, of divides and might be uh, a new way of 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 building uh, you know of contributing to spiritual the spiritual life of, of our of our culture but he um, he had you know different message for people in ministry a different message for ordinary people but uh, I think that his you know his efforts to try to use uh, artists like Van Gogh and paintings uh, or reflecting on a painting of Rembrandt or uh, or maybe uh, talking about the circus or <laughs> other kinds of ways that would uh, help us understand what ultimately the meaning of life was about and it was not pointing us, in a churchy kind of uh, dogmatic uh, uh, spirituality. But interestingly enough, uh, the way he, he was able finally ultimately to talk about the creed by talking about a, uh, an ex- a highly disabled you know, man who died after a difficult life. Uh, he said that the, the, you know, to be a Christian is to, to learn how somehow to see your own life in relation to the life of, of Jesus in relation to the gospel, to see your own, your own story as part of God's story that God's telling through Jesus. Um, and I think that, that in that way, as, at least as a spiritual teacher, you know, he was, uh, was on to something very deeply. And the fact that he then, uh, for him, spirituality was not um, uh, divorced from a concern for the world, in fact, uh, you know, deeply compassionate about the cause of peace, about social justice, about the poor in Latin America and elsewhere. And I think that that, um, that sensibility and concern would have been something that he would have continued to, 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 uh, to, to, to cultivate. So uh, in that sense, again, I think that that is um, part of the spiritual agenda of our, of our time, is how, uh, how those kind of spiritual insights and energies can be uh, mobilized uh, not only to to uh, deepen our own intimacy with God, but our intimacy with a wounded world. Thank you so much. This has been excellent. I could go on and on. I love chatting, chatting with you. I would encourage anyone that's listening, check out Orbis Books and see how the issues of social justice have found a wonderful place to be uh, to be shared. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Robert.